For much of American history, John Marshall Harlan was dismissed as a moralizing eccentric while Oliver Wendell Holmes was lionized as a democratic visionary. But today, Harlan's dissenting opinions about civil rights, civil liberties, and national power have been embraced by the court and vindicated by history. While the radical majoritarianism and judicial abstinence represented by Holmes has hardly any academic or popular constituency. By contrast, John Marshall Harlan, who served on the court from 1877 to 1911, combined a passionate commitment to protecting the rights of African Americans with an equally firm devotion to defending the power of the federal government to protect the economically weak and disadvantaged. Harlan's most famous opinion was the dissent in Plessy versus Ferguson, in which he alone, among the justices, insisted that the compulsory segregation of blacks and whites on railway cars violated the Constitution. Our Constitution, this is a quote from Harlan, our Constitution is colorblind and neither knows nor tolerates classes among citizens. Harlan was the unique distinction has the unique distinction of having prefigured the Civil Rights and Civil Liberties Revolution. Now, this is 1896 when he gave that dissenting opinion in Plessy versus Ferguson. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, Plessy versus Ferguson went the other way where the court upheld the, the uh, segregation laws of the South uh, with, their, with their ruling, um, you know, of course, at the protest of John Marshall Harlan. Um, and so that set in place more Jim Crow in the South, another seven decades of the nasty stuff, uh, you know, terribly treating our citizens, our brothers and sisters uh, uh, of African-American descent. Um, so today's Eagle, Haas, and Hound podcast, we're going to celebrate a Haas. His name is John Marshall Harlan. He was a Supreme Court Justice, and our... Uh, eagle attribute today is going to be the attribute of strength. So this is J.D. Collier. Let's get on with it. This is the Eagle, Haas, and Hound podcast. Welcome. Created by Eagle Impact and Johnny Tilt Productions, this podcast honors and respects the service veterans and spouses, the social integrity heroes of our past, and the common American mutt. That's right, you. With this podcast, we provide a platform for respect. We respect the eagle, that is, the individual with a service background, the sworn hero from the uniform who has risked it all for our protection. Plus, we respect and honor the hoss, that is, the social integrity leader from our past, such as Franklin, Ulysses, Lincoln, and others from our American history. Finally, we respect you, the hound, as we discuss the topics of the day, listening and learning together to improve our work, home, and family. Each week, we will bring you value in the form of knowledge and perspective. Just like you heard, we are all in this together, so get ready for another excellent show. It's the Eagle, Haas, and Hound podcast. Okay, welcome back, America. Welcome to the American Mutt. This is J.D. Collier. Uh, this is the Eagle, Haas, and Hound podcast, and today is May the 5th, uh, the Cinco de Mayo for some. Uh, and and uh, funny thing is, we, we hear all the... The radio chatter going on, all the commercials, and the you hear music that makes you think that uh, the the country of Mexico is celebrating Cinco de Mayo. But 
Not really. <laughs> they don't. They celebrated on the first of May. Uh, they called it Labor Day, but I think they might celebrate Cinco de Mayo down in Argentina. Um, anyway, all of those folks, uh, all of you are American mutts. Everybody on these American continents, okay? It's North and South America, Central America. I call you the American mutt because you are here uh, existing and you came from somewhere else. This is the new world. We're all immigrants. We, we, uh, we came from places like Asia, from Africa, and from Europe. And uh, somehow, some way, we made our place here in the Americas, and uh, we're proud of this. Okay, this is this is this is what distinguishes us from the other people in the world. Um, not saying that the other people in the world are bad, just saying that this is our experience, and and we are the American mutt. Uh, we're we're a melting pot. Okay, and uh, so I want to celebrate that, and and that's why I call you an American mutt because we're all the same. Okay, and if you just got here yesterday as an immigrant. You got here, you know, decades ago or hundreds of years ago or maybe even thousands of years ago through your family. You are here and you are welcome. And uh, I welcome you to the Eagle, Haas, and Hound podcast. So uh, today I was trying out another method to uh, present this. Uh, I ended up uh, failing. Uh, you see this microphone right right here. It's a nice, nice microphone. I paid a lot of money for it and it sounds great sometimes unless you bump the cord for one little bit there. And uh, so I haven't quite figured out the microphone. And I also got a, a new camera uh, uh, for, the, for the computer because I wanted to try to do a, like a Facebook Live um, and Facebook wasn't having that camera. <laughs> so uh, I tried Zoom. I'm like, well, maybe Zoom. And then Zoom, uh, it took the camera and it said it was it was gonna not do the audio, but the opposite happened when I recorded it. It only gave me the audio and not the camera. So, sorry, I hadn't quite figured it out. I'm trying to make this uh, a better thing. I, I think that you can hear it better on the microphone. So, um, back to the drawing board. Another thing I'm trying to do for the for this podcast is I'm going to invite a guest. Uh, actually, going to have somebody here. Uh, I think it's uh, the fifth of June. Um, anyway, it's the first, the first podcast of June and, uh, he is one of my neighbors. He's going to come in here and we're going to have ourselves a good discussion for the podcast, but I got to get ready for it. I got to get the microphone set up and get a way of recording it in the best way. Uh, I'm here inside of my backyard studio. Uh, I call this studio, uh, Johnny Tilt Productions studio. And, uh, anyway, this place has some limitations of its own. One of them is uh, it's starting to get hot. The summer's coming on, or the, you know, it's the getting into the de the depth of spring. So uh, the bugs are flying in here too. I don't want my guest going like this, you know, when we're doing the podcast. Um, so I'm gonna see if he can come early, like 6 a.m. when it doesn't get too hot, and maybe we have some good luck. Another place I can record is down in the basement. That gets kind of cold and dank and musty and. Um, but anyway, we'll figure it out. Um, so I'm here not to talk about all these crazy things, but to talk about the eagle and the hoss and the hound, okay? So the eagle, uh, I've told you about the eagle. It's an individual with a service background, either from armed forces, law enforcement, fire and rescue, or spouses. I call you an eagle. I don't call you a veteran, for instance. And uh, it's a more inclusive term for everybody who has put on the uniform and taken the oath and lived the code of conduct uh, to serve us um, and uh, to to I want to I want to elevate that experience for you and tell you how good you are in the workforce. Okay, there's plenty of forces 
and uh, lots of adversity that's going to come at you, but you're used to dealing with that. And as an eagle with these attributes of strength, honor, courage, commitment, and respect, you can handle it, okay? Uh, there, there's lots of, uh, lots of things that will try to drag you down and tell you that you can't do it. Uh, plenty of statistics that could, could be out there. Um, one of the statistics that is pretty nasty that I, I want to take a, take a shot at is um, when our service personnel are, are leaving the service, particularly the armed forces, and it also affects the spouses. Uh, there's not, they're not walking right into a job, okay? Four out of five don't have a job lined up when they get out. And that's a tragedy because, you know, when you go through that experience, you gain those attributes and those attributes are valuable in the workforce. Doesn't matter if you're working for private sector or public sector uh, or working for yourself, uh, those attributes stay with you for life, okay? And today I'm going to talk about the attribute of strength. So uh, in the past, I've, I've, I've talked about it in strength. Uh, I call it faith beyond yourself, okay? So strength is uh, something that, you know, your first impulse is to, to think about muscle strength and how strong you are. And yeah, sure, uh, many of our uh, youngsters, the youth that go into the service, they, you know, they, they're pretty strong, some of the strongest people we have. Uh, but it's not anything about muscle strength. So it, it, it is about the strength of the team around you and the belief in yourself that you have your team around you uh, that makes you strong, okay? And it, in fact, it does make you strong. So if you remember back into your service, uh, your training, uh, even your operations, when you counted on the person to your left or the person to your right to, uh, to be covering for you, and, and you also covered for them. And another thing is that when you're doing an operation, you know that there's somebody you can call on the radio or using your hand signals or whatever your communication means was, you were able to call in for some support. And uh, that support was there. You know it was there. And uh, that's also part of your strength is just knowing that you have the support. And, and it's not only knowing, but it's believing, okay? So when you've gone through this how many times in your past, okay, uh, whatever, whatever, whether it was training or, or actual operations, you practiced this, you did it over and over again to the point at which it became who you are, okay? It becomes you. It's like second nature. You don't think about it. You are already knowing that you're strong, okay? And this knowing, is it becomes a belief, okay? And it's a, it's a core belief in yourself, and you are able to do well because of that belief. Well, now I have an interruption, so excuse me for a second. All right, I'm back. Um, little emergency. My daughter had uh, some dental floss. You know, it looked like a little sword, one of those little dental floss things stuck in her tooth, and she couldn't get it out. And so she had to come see Daddy to get some help. <laughs> so uh, good for her uh, flossing her teeth. You know, I wish I did more of that myself. And uh, maybe you too feel like the same. Uh, so uh, anyway, I'm, I'm going to finish up talking about the attribute of strength. It is, a, a, you know, an excellent attribute. And, you know, it goes more, more than just your own belief about the people around you, but it's your belief in, in God, okay, and how He uh, is with you, okay? So there's, there's so many elements of, of this strength that I call faith beyond yourself, and uh, it is a key attribute. Um, and, again, it's not muscle strength. It's, it's the strength in knowing that you have support around you. And you're able to proceed with confidence because of that. So 
the eagle attribute is strength. Okay, now I want to talk about our Haas, uh, John Marshall Harlan. And uh, I use as a reference this book here, uh, The Supreme Court, The Personalities and Rivalries That Defined America. And this fellow named Jeffrey Rosen, I was reading from his book earlier, did a great job making this book. And there's some other rivalries that are in here too that I'll probably reference too. And, and you know, I always say go to the library and check out a book. This book was in the library. It didn't cost me anything to go check it out. Go check out a library book. And uh, you'd be surprised. This book is so crisp and clean. It doesn't look like too many people have read it. Uh, it's copyrighted in 2006. So uh, I, I usually do keep an eye on what dates the uh, the books are that I that I uh, check out because I'm sometimes I want something that's uh, you know from way back. You know, if I can get something that was written in the 60s, you know, it depends on what I'm what I'm reading about. Something that's more current for the time uh, that I'm that I'm interested in, then all the better. Um, I think I talked about last time when I was talking about uh, Clara Barton when uh, I couldn't get her autobiography because it was stuck in the library. They wouldn't release it from the library. I had to go in there and just read what I could uh, in the library itself and leave the book there. So, um, But I, I strongly recommend that you make a habit of going to the library and checking out books and, and uh, getting your family involved in it. So uh, it's something I'm glad that I'm starting to do more of. And um, so anyway, some of these other rivalries in here, uh, you know, one of the first rivalries mentioned is with this guy named John Marshall. And this is the guy, he's, he was a original uh, Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, this guy, John Marshall. And he had a big rivalry with Thomas Jefferson, okay? And I think I'm gonna feature John Marshall as a hoss uh, in, in contrast to this fellow named Thomas Jefferson, that I, I cannot call him a hoss uh, for many reasons. Um, he did some good things for America, for sure, yeah. He, he penned the uh, Declaration of Independence, and uh, he was our third president. Um, but uh, some of the other sinister stuff that he did that, that ended up causing so much great damage to our country, uh, I can't really give him, give him hoss hoss uh, characteristic for that. So um, that's, that's another time. But this book does pretty good job uh, going through some of these things. And so for John Harlan, John Marshall Harlan, his rival, okay, was this guy named Oliver Wendell Holmes. And they had uh, both been in court, in the Supreme Court at, at the same time, uh, not exactly at the same time. Um, and by the way, how do you like my bookmark? That's the uh, Franklin Ulysses 150. But, so this is Harlan. He's got kind of a baldest, bald head. And this guy next to him, this is uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes. Um, both of these guys are tall, but uh, this guy, he's barrel-chested, and he's a Kentucky man, and spits tobacco, and, and that's John Marshall Harlan. And this other fellow here, John uh, um, uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes, he was kind of an arist aristocratic fellow, uh, more of an uppity, come from uh, Massachusetts. And uh, they had different backgrounds, but um, they served together from 1902 when Holmes got in until 1911, when uh, John Marshall Harlan passed away. And anyway, um, Harlan, both of these fellows, they actually, Harlan and Holmes, they were uh, both uh, veterans of the Civil War, Harlan being the elder. And during the Civil War, Harlan was a colonel, okay? Um, Harlan came from Kentucky, and I mentioned he was a tobacco spitter, and he was, he was the only tobacco spitter on the court at the time. Um, I, I suppose that 
because he was one of these frontier guys from Kentucky, um, and it was a habit that he picked up and he kept up, um, you know, it is what it is. Everybody has their own habits and personal, personal, uh, personal characteristics. He, uh, you know, he actually, Harlan was a slaveholder. He was born into a slaveholding family, and this is before the Civil War, of course. Uh, and uh, he, you know, he actually wasn't a Democrat. He was a, he was a, uh, a, fe uh, a Whig. You know, there was several parties. The, the Democrat Party had started in the early 1800s with Thomas Jefferson, okay? And then it was the, it's been the party in power, or the, the dominant caste party ever since. Um, but, you know, obviously uh, Harlan was against that. Uh, even though he was a slaveholder, uh, usually most slaveholders were Democrats, uh, you know. And um, anyway, uh, he got into some politics and uh, he wanted to... He ran for office. I think he was the uh, was it the, the attorney general um, of Kentucky, and um, you know he you know he was relatively uh, relatively well off, but not really successful in politics. He lost some elections, and um, when when the Civil War broke out, I mean he still he you know he he volunteered. He actually raised up a regiment of uh, individuals. Um, to, to what do they call it, the Kentucky Regiment, and they joined up with him, and he went into the Civil War and, and had, you know, some, some relative success, and I guess the biggest success is he stayed alive, and his troops loved him, okay, he, he was actually a good leader, and, um, you know, the other fellow, uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes, just a little bit about him, he was a younger man, and uh, he entered as a, uh, as a lieutenant in the Army, uh, and kind of an aristocratic guy, and you know, on his way into the the war, he's coming from Massachusetts. He stopped and got to go into New York City and have a dinner at um, um, Delmonico's. If you have, haven't ever eaten there, I I got to eat there one time. It was great. Met that restaurant's been there for a long time. It's way down in Manhattan. And uh, what I liked about sitting at in Delmonico's, they have a They've had so much history there. They've got a little medallion by each seat. When you're sitting there, you turn around and see where you're sitting, and you you can tell who was sitting there at one time, who was the most famous person, either po politician or actor or whoever over the years that sat there. And I sat in my seat, and I, and I, it was a seat that I picked out in the whole restaurant. I sat and turned around and looked. I was sitting in Abraham Lincoln's seat. <laughs> I, I picked out the same seat that Abraham Lincoln was in. So, um, But anyway, that's just a little quick... Uh, recollection, okay, that was Delmonico's. Well, very fancy restaurant, even back in those days, uh, just, just before he's going to Civil War, uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes gets to go there, and, um, and then he goes, it enters his, his duty in, in the war in the Union Army, okay, so uh, he was anti-slavery, a young, brash, anti-slavery fellow, and um, both of these guys go into the war with, uh, you know, different, different opinions, uh, Harlan, he was a slaveholder, so he wasn't really anti-slavery from that perspective. But the war changed him uh, to the point where he was against slavery. And uh, the war changed Oliver Wendell Holmes from being uh, an, uh, an abolitionist to uh, pretty much a skeptic. Okay, so um, another thing is that, you know, their personal lives, uh, Harlan... He was a, a devout Christian, okay? Uh, he was an elder in his church. He taught Sunday school to middle-aged folks uh, in his later years. Uh, he was devoted to his wife, okay? 
and uh, had a pretty happy home life, happy marriage, and uh, I, you know, some children. And um, Oliver Wendell Holmes, uh, he had a wife, and I think he had a girlfriend. <laughs> Uh, so Oliver Wendell Holmes, I think his girlfriend was over in, in, uh, in Ireland or England or something like that. And so he kind of, he had to go visit her sometimes, you know what I mean? Um, so in that way they were different too. Um, so when Harlan spoke about his decisions or when he wrote about them, he had so much emotion. He was gregarious. And you can tell from what I read that little bit there, uh, that he really was devoted to, to uh, civil rights and civil liberties for individuals uh, and citizens, okay? You know, I love this line, our constitution is colorblind and neither knows nor tolerates classes among citizens. John Marshall Harlan. And well, here's a guy during the time he says all this stuff that he's being ridiculed, uh, he's not with the majority, he's the only dissenter, and there were many other opinions that he was the dissenter on. In fact, they called him the great dissenter. And uh, he had so much courage to do that. He was thinking rightly. And even though it was unpopular and, you know, he was mocked and ridiculed, he still stayed with his, his, his feelings about it and, and how, and how uh, you know, his convictions. Um, and history has vindicated him, okay? And as I mentioned earlier, Holmes, no, not, not so much. Um, a common theme that I'm bringing out here because, you know, we're talking about the Haas. This is a social integrity hero. John Marshall Harlan is definitely that. Even facing all of that scrutiny, he held firm for the, the civil rights of Americans. And uh, as I mentioned too, too bad that uh, the popular opinion didn't go his way with his dissent in, in the, uh, the Plessy versus Ferguson case. And in 1896, it turned into all those decades and decades and decades of more racism and segregation, more in the South than other places, but also in other places. And it, you know, just, it, it, did, it did a lot of damage to our country. Um, so I just wonder what it would have been like if that Plessy versus Ferguson had gone the other way and, you know, that, that it was actually struck down the way it should have been. Um... Something, too, that occurred to me from these readings, you know, every, every Supreme Court justice, they're sitting there, they're a, they're a team player on the Supreme Court. They have this grand mission, you know, to uh, uphold the Constitution and the laws of the land, you know, to try to protect individuals, uh, you know, uh, to make sure that they're being treated right constitutionally. And also, they're supposed to look after the states and make sure the states... Uh, and their legislatures and the laws that each state uh, are passing are actually constitutional. So they got this, this great big responsibility, but that doesn't stop them from having their own individual personalities and their strengths and weaknesses. And, uh, you know, mentioning these two fellows right here, John Marshall Harlan and Oliver Wendell Holmes, you know, they definitely had that. Uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes being, uh, he, he was, he called himself and he, you know, he, he wasn't ashamed to say it. He called himself a, uh, a, uh, social Darwinist. Okay. Or so he believed in, uh, 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 what do they call Dar Darwinism is, is the, um, survival of the fittest. And, um, in that day they believed that in the majority of, of Americans at the time, 
probably 70 or 80% of them were of Euro, European descent, okay? They were Euro-Americans. That was the majority. And uh, the Afro-Americans, Afro they were very much a minority. In fact, today they're still quite a minority as far as numbers go. But it was kind of a bullyish move for Oliver Wendell Holmes to have this social Darwinist attitude towards other people, basically trying to... Uh, trying to say uh, that the, the, the Euro race or the Euro Americans were uh, just, just so much better in, in all these other areas of life, okay? Uh, kind of an, an astute uppity attitude and that's, that's the same attitude that, that he used in his rulings and how his opinions came across and he was very much a Jeffersonian. Uh, Jeffersonian, uh, the idea of, you know, the word democracy it's, it basically means, it's supposed to mean the rule by the people. Minnesota's Republican was supposed to mean rule by the people. But democracy is more in line with the majority rules, okay? So in the opinion of Holmes, he thought that he didn't care what the deal was. If the majority ruled and the majority voted in a certain legislator to, to, because they won more votes and it was a majority, he's like, well, then that's their law. So what, you know? And that was his opinion. He didn't, he didn't care if the law seemed to be, you know, uh, racially profiling certain groups or being unfair. He just thought, no, it's, it's majority rule and uh, survival of the fittest, you know, and this kind of an attitude. And, and I mention it because there was plenty of people in, in the general uh, uh, time of that uh, part of our, of, our, of our history that had that same attitude. You know, he wasn't the only person. And so here was a, a young country, uh, American, I'm talking about the late 1800s, the early 1900s, uh, industrialization was going up, lots of changes and technology are coming up, and uh, there's certain certain attitude, okay, oh, look at how great we are, we got all these wonderful inventions made here in America, and all this industrialization, and blah, 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 and uh, but but not really paying attention to the toll that it was taking on a certain part of our population, particularly the Afro-Americans, Afro and particularly in the South, because they got stuck under these Jim Crow laws, and uh, there wasn't anybody who had any empathy for them to try to break those laws and, and, and just get rid of them. Um, there were, I, I can't say there were any, weren't anybody. There were people in the North who were still not happy. In fact, you know, when I mentioned about Rosa Parks, when she had a school teacher and all of her school teachers had come from the North, either Massachusetts or other parts of the North. They were teaching a school in the South, there in Alabama, because they knew that there was such an issue, an issue down there, and they wanted to teach these youth uh, that you know they should be standing up for themselves and have dignity and and be respectful, and that's exactly what they did. So um, good, good for them, good for them. And Rosa Parks, uh, she benefited from that. Too bad there wasn't enough of those kind of schools, um, but the overall majority of, of the uh, American population, they were not looking at the, the problems in the South as a big problem. In, in some ways, I think the big boogeyman had moved on to the West, okay? They, they stopped looking at what was going on in the South and started focusing opinion on, or focusing their attention on uh, the, the Wild West, you know, taming the Wild West, getting these new states, you know, and, uh, you know, plenty of other problems happened because of the conflict with the Native Americans and uh, the, the terrible treatment of the Native Americans as, 
as the pioneers were rolling in trying to trying to settle our, our western territories. Um, I'm sure I'm going to talk about that too. So some of the other hosses that I have in mind to talk about are uh, Native American hosses like Tecumseh and uh, Sitting Bull and Geronimo. Okay, um, Chief Joseph comes to mind as another one. And uh, so these guys, yeah, they're just like I said, they're American much just like you and me, okay? With the definition that I started talking to you about. Anybody that came here to these Americas, whether they got here 10,000 or more years ago, like the Native Americans, or the Euro-American settlers, or the Afro-Americans, or the, the current uh, immigrants that we have today coming in from all over the world, you're here, you're the American mutt, and you are welcome, okay? So I'm going to close up today's uh, Eagle, Haas, and Hound podcast so I can put it together and get it out there. And I'm going to work on some of these technical glitches so that I can have a better show for you, especially when I have a guest. So, uh, you know, if you got any ideas, let me know. I think I'm going to have to have to ditch the idea of a digital microphone. I might have to get an analog microphone and then get a mixer and then uh, put that mixer into uh, a, a a USB. So, uh, if you got any ideas, let me know. All right. This is JD Collier. Uh, have a great week and we'll see you next week. Get up. Quarter to four. I go to work and I hit the floor. Hard work, work. 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 All right, guys. That's awesome.